Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bench with Carter Eccles, episode 57. I am your host, Carter E. Today, we've got our first guest of the uh, winter sports season. We are joined by Carson Boys Basketball head coach, Tyler Golden. Ty, thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you for taking the time here on uh, this Sunday. We do like to try to be transparent with when we're when we're taping based off when these things come out. But uh, here on this Sunday afternoon, uh, we will have some wrestling talk here toward the end um, from the Reno Tournament Champions. We did have a winner out there that we will talk about amongst some of the other results. And of course, we have been on uh, some of the World Cup talk here, which we will close this episode with uh, the finals as Argentina takes down France in penalty kicks. But first and foremost, we will turn it over to to Ty here. Ty, uh, thanks for joining the program. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. And you know, it's been uh, been quite the week for the Carson boys basketball team with a with a win over Galena and then a, a scare into a nine and one Reno team. Uh, I guess I got to start with a question. I think I already asked you after that Reno game was, what do you think the the biggest difference was from that that Sparks week to to this past week? Well, I think the biggest thing is is we're starting to buy in as a team and realize that we have to play as a team to win. It can't be individual, and we've started to go inside out with our with our shot selection and just our offensive uh, scheme in general, really buying into getting a paint touch before we're, we're ready to put up a shot. So that improved shot selection, playing together for each other, with each other, has really helped us uh, play a little bit better these last few. Yeah, improved shot selection, and I'm sure with you being in your first year, learning a new system as well. Uh, I guess from your from your eyes, how would you kind of see the team uh, transitioning into that system through through six games and obviously a couple weeks of practice? Well, there's a lot of up and ups and downs that come with it just because, I mean, like Galena plays a lot of that 1-2-2 two, two, falling back into a 2-3. Uh, Reno, historically a lot of zone. They threw some man at us early, mm-hmm. kind of went back and forth. So uh, we definitely have been working a lot on, on both the new man stuff and then also just some pretty traditional zone concepts with a few set plays or quick hitters and so it's it's definitely a lot to learn for the guys and the more reps they get especially against another team not just against ourselves hopefully the the more crisp and and I guess clear it becomes that we really understand what we're trying to do uh, and I think we're making progress there but yeah every every game is just a little different with the zone looks they've been throwing at us recently yeah it's always a little it's always been a little strange to me that they they throw you guys a couple league games before the Christmas break and then you jump right back into the, the slate it's like hey you got some non-league games where you can see what you guys have oh by the way these ones count then you're gonna go back to non-league games and then we're gonna throw you into the fire of, of the league season um, but just from some of the the uh, uh, the things you've seen through six games so far, what has been the thing that's kind of impressed you the most about the the team here early on? Well, I've really admired their their fight because uh, I, I questioned that a little bit early with, mm-hmm. with a couple of our tough games. I mean, you mentioned the schedule. We open with a, a game at Wooster and we build some momentum and then we have to go, you know, welcome to Northern Nevada 5A. Here's a game at Minogue. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, first home one with Spanish Springs, who's uh, been really good the last few years as well. So we, we learned a lot about ourselves there and, and learned that, you know, we have to compete for a full four quarters, no matter what the score is. Uh, we can't be given up. We've got to give it our all in practice. And so I really pushed them and challenged them. And I've been impressed with their response to that. I've also been impressed with a few individual players. I mean, DC has been uh, just huge for us and the way he's embraced a leadership role along with a few of our older players in helping the younger players along and, and demanding excellence out of them and finding his own way to do that. I've been impressed with him for sure. Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of go specifically to, to DC here in a second. Let me make sure I've got uh, these stats correct before I throw a question your way. You know, he was averaging... Uh, 
close to 16 and a half points a game. Obviously, he had 12 against Reno, all of those coming in the second half. Um, you know, what do you think the biggest thing or the biggest area of growth you've seen from him from last year to this season as you were an assistant last year with the team? But obviously, now you are you are the man in charge. Well, it's it's a big jump going from a, a supporting score, secondary score on offense to being the guy that's at the top of everybody's scouting report. And so that's been an adjustment for him this year, but also he's he's embraced it. Uh, I mean, Reno was really keying in on him inside, and he's been a very willing passer. And he's learned when it's his time to really turn it on and, and look at the basket and score right away, and when it's maybe he can fill that double team already as he's catching and make a quick inside-out pass for us. So uh, I've been impressed with, with his ability to kind of pick and choose based on the coverages he's seeing. And then obviously at times it's like, you know what, we need a basket, let's get him the ball. And he's and he's delivered in certain situations. Yeah, and you know, for, you mentioned that, that kind of secondary role last year where it seemed like a little bit, uh, maybe it was just because he was one of the bigger kids on the floor, but you you know, had had some problems where he would get into foul trouble in those games. But it seems like that's something he's really, really cleaned up so far through this season. Is that that kind of a sentiment you would agree with? Yeah, I mean, it's it's no secret we need him on the floor. So we we have a conversation about that every day. Like DC, here's a here's a situation where you can't be uh, swinging for an offensive rebound if somebody else has already got it, or you know, if if we're 35 feet away from the basket and you're guarding someone in transition, that's not a spot to reach. You're too valuable for us. So we we have some of those conversations, and we've done a lot of. Uh, drill specific to contesting with his hands straight up, not not swinging for blocks, not uh, playing out of position and, and putting yourself in a spot where you're going to get a foul. And him being on the floor, I mean, like I said, that's really just key for us. And he's embraced that and recognizing that, you know, his basketball IQ is going to have to come through in certain situations more so than the emotions of wanting the ball in that given situation. And he's done well. Uh, done well staying on the floor, not a foul trouble. Well, you mentioned not swinging for blocks. Even without not swinging for blocks, he's still averaging three blocks a game. Uh, <laughs> I think he had six against Galena. I mean, how how impressive is that to see? Because that's not something I think I've seen really in northern Nevada in, you know, this is my, I guess, third and a half season if, with that pandemic year. But uh, seeing, seeing you know, northern Nevada hoops, you don't see a lot of guys who come up with these these big block totals. And I, I can only imagine how valuable that is to you guys. Oh, it's huge. He makes up for a lot of a lot of maybe defensive mistakes in other areas. They're not even necessarily mistakes. Just guys get biased, and he's mm -hmm. able to meet them at the rim and be that rim protector, right? Uh, He's, he's done a good job of meeting the ball high, whether that's off the glass and avoiding contact with the player or just going straight up and making guys put a shot up through him and, and getting some contact with the ball that way as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, can't, can't speak highly enough of, of his defensive effort and his ability to block shots, rebound, get out and run. He's, he's really done a good job for us. Yeah, it seems like he's, he's really transitioned into that, that number one role nicely for you guys. And, uh, you know, looking kind of around the, the rest of the lineup, not to focus here too much on, on D.C., but obviously Michael <coughs> Hughes has had, had some really nice games for you guys. Um, he's averaging, you know, roughly about nine, nine points a game with three and a half assists and two and a half steals. What's been the thing that's impressed you the most about him kind of going in to his second varsity season uh, with the Senators. Yeah, it's a it's a big jump to to go to you know occasional player to mm -hmm. starting point guard all of a sudden. And Mike's a sneaky athlete, and he has a really high basketball IQ. So his ability to jump some passing lanes early or even get a block or a big rebound and initiate our early offense or even just a full-on uh, you know, break two-on-one situation at the basket, he he always makes the right read. He, he often gets us started well in that first quarter uh, just 
getting out and running. And we've, we found that that's a, that's a good key for us. If we can get out and transition with Mike leading the break or, or Parker, or Ethan filling in behind for some transition threes. I mean, it, it's really been good for us. Yeah. And you mentioned getting started in the four, first quarter. I think he had 14 against Galena in the first quarter. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then obviously, you know, DC did DC things from there, but, uh, what, what has been the, I guess his, his, uh, strongest attribute you've seen through, through six games this year, that being Michael Hughes. Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of things he does well. I'm trying to think right here. I, I think um, his his understanding of of when to attack and transition, and when to maybe pull it out and and run offense. And he's he's growing with that. But I think, like I said before, his basketball IQ is really high. He's a very willing passer, but he's also realized how dangerous he can be when he's attacking the basket in transition. So picking and choosing those moments and, and figuring out how to start that break has been really big. Yeah, and I know we've talked a lot about uh, just from post game uh, interviews. You've mentioned you guys have a lot of a lot of high IQ basketball players, and you know so far, obviously, I'm sure the turnovers are probably a little higher than than where you would like as coach. But is, do you think that's a little bit contributed to the fact that you've got kids trying to make those plays, and it's just early season, and they're just not quite there yet? Do you think that's kind of been the I guess the biggest difference so far between those two things? Um, I think a lot of them probably fit that category. The ones that have been painful is when we're in a trap and we, we throw it, you know, try to throw a cross-court pass or something ends up with, you know, basically a pick six where they're going the other way for a layup, right? Those have hurt us, especially against Reno. We had a couple in the fourth quarter. But generally, those turnovers, you know, I'll, I'll live with it if we're trying to make the right play or it's the right pass something happens like we're going to have some turnovers but as, as long as we're trying to make the right play it's okay uh but I, I think we still have too many where you know what that's really just not the place to throw it so we're, we're growing in that area but i do think you know the high iq players and helping everybody else understand it is is a good thing but still a lot of a lot of improvement needed yeah and i wouldn't you know i'm not trying to uh harp too hard on anybody individually or anything like that and also like i've said a few times we're only through six games so obviously yeah. it's it's early and you guys have you know plenty of time to you know, kind of finalize some of those those little things. I guess kind of continuing to move move through the roster. Obviously, some of those uh, secondary scores, Ethan Grant and Parker Story, uh, though doing two very different things. I would say on the offensive end and maybe defensively too. But I've also been uh, key pieces for you guys so far. I guess kind of starting with with Parker. Uh, you know, averaging four rebounds a game, three and a half assists per game. What's kind of is you know is that kind of the the role you you like for him as well as you know when those points come they come but right now you're he's continued from last year as the the energy guy who can who can you know put passes where they need to and go up and fight for rebounds at all of you know 510 511 yeah parker's just tough yeah. i mean he's he's just an athlete uh he goes from football pads and cleats to lacing them up with with us on the court and he's he's out there competing right away i mean he's just he's just an athlete all around uh, you'll even hear him say it like, I'm, I'm a defensive guy. I'm a defensive guy. And it's true. I mean, he's always mm -hmm. taking generally, you know, based on matchups, the other team's leading scorer or best player or, or one of their creators. And then uh, we've pushed him to be a little more assertive on, on the offensive end, especially in transition because of his speed. Mm -hmm. And he's he's done he's done well with that. We, we still want to even push him more on offense. I uh, want to see what else he can do on that end. But yeah, just an excellent defender. Um, really, really smart player. 
and fun to work with for sure. Yeah, when he's not bodying dudes on the football field or on the basketball court, he's bodying cows and stuff out in the FFA world. It seems <laughs> like he's capable of hanging with with anything, man or man or animal. Um, you know, and also I know he's a he's a fun kind of lively presence as well. Well, for you guys, um, you yeah. know, to get a little bit away from basketball personality wise, like, do you have a is does he fit your your team jokester role? Is there is there <laughs> is, are there certain things you've seen from the guys now uh, in the your second year that you're really starting to figure out kind of who they are as as people definitely i'm a pretty serious guy when it's like practice time and and game situations and there's a few times when even as i'm trying not to i just can't help but laugh with parker (laughs) around i mean he's just he's just hilarious uh but but he has a way of being able to focus at the same time and we've had some conversations about that like hey we we need to really be locked in today and but but he does keep things light when we need it to be and yeah, he's he's a really funny guy to be around. Yeah, nothing like hearing from in the locker room even Carter Eckle. <laughs> so yeah. so I've I've definitely experienced that firsthand <laughs> as well. Uh, you know, moving over to Ethan, obviously uh, an out outside threat on the offensive end. Uh, I guess I don't you know having seen him a little bit last year and then obviously adjusting this year. I'm curious about his defensive role for you guys, but I'll start on the offensive end. Um, obviously, I'm sure his biggest strength is probably being that outside threat for you guys. Um, is, is that something you would agree with, or do you think his his uh, abilities kind of uh, give him uh, room to work elsewhere? Well, I think he's he's definitely a, a great shooter from the outside, and he provides some some space for us for our interior guys. I think he's also a really willing and intelligent passer. Uh, he's always even as great a shooter as he is. He's willing to make that one more pass to go from good to great. And we, we talk about that, you know, inside out and then good to great. Can we make that one more? Can we get a really open shot? And he's, he's very willing to do that. Uh, in transition, if it's, if it's Mike or Parker out running and, you know, he's back bringing the ball up, he's, he's done a good job of making that early advance pass and, and letting us attack early as well. So definitely been impressed with his all-around game, but uh, his threat is definitely, definitely from the outside. Yeah, and, you know, looking through the rest of the roster, I know you guys have, you know, pieces that are, that are filling in elsewhere. Obviously, uh, Thomas Burkett has had some some nice moments. Yaki Glenn has hit a couple of big shots, uh, whether earlier or late there. Mo Fall, Quentin Beck, Lane and Hoff are all kind of getting in the mix. What's what's the bench been like and how much are you what are you kind of looking for uh, the bench to to provide here for you this season? And obviously I know every player on the bench does different roles, but generally speaking, what's what's the bench provide for you guys uh, this season? Yeah, well there, there's a lot of youth there. So there's been a lot of a lot of growth and a lot of these guys are getting their first ever varsity minutes, first ever varsity baskets, which is fun to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But we we really want to see guys compete on the glass. We're not the biggest team. So if they can come in and, and get a rebound or two and then go down and, and make a play on offense, I mean, it, the way basketball works, I don't know if it's the basketball gods or what, but if, if you defend hard, if you hit the glass hard, then all of a sudden your, start, your, your shot starts to fall, right? So we've been pushing these guys to really compete and be physical on the glass and then just let the other end take care of itself. Just just trust what we're trying to run, execute. If you've got an open look, take it. If it, if it doesn't go down, we'll live with it. We're still going to go back on the other end and compete. But a lot of these younger guys have, have done well in stepping up. Uh, you know, I asked Andrea Hoff this after the Galena game, I believe. I'm curious for you, uh, or do you prefer going the casual look on the bench with kind of the, you know, the, uh, I guess not slacks and then a, a zip up, or do you prefer doing the the shirt tie button up look? Is do you do you have a preference there? I think I've um, seen you go more <laughs> more casual here in the early part of the season. Yeah, I'm definitely on the quarter zip side of things. <laughs> uh, I feel like 
I don't know. I, maybe I just don't take myself too seriously in that regard, <laughs> or, or maybe I just don't look good enough in a suit. But uh, maybe you're gonna start showing up to practice in a suit. Since yeah, yeah, we'll practice in a suit. <laughs> yeah, no, but we'll we'll go with the the quarter zips. I I kind of like that look, and it's I don't know. It, it's fun. A little more. I can move around more in that than I can in a suit in game. So I can get down in the stance with the guys. How about that? Okay, okay, for sure, for sure. Just a little bit more of a of a lighthearted question yeah. there. And uh, for those of you who read. Uh, my piece on on Ty taking over the the program. He is also an Ohio Bobcat, which I will not right. harp on too much. But real quickly, what's been your favorite thing about if you've had a chance to watch the Bobcats at all this year? What's been your favorite thing about about that team this year? Knowing they are also very much trying to fill pieces they don't have from last season. Yeah, well, it's it's a lot of growth. I mean, maybe we're in similar spots, right? But seeing how they you know lose a heartbreaker at at the start of the season and then knowing as a young team or with guys in new roles how it's really difficult to win in those situations, something we experienced against Reno. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then putting yourself in that situation and learning from it allows you to hopefully eventually come out on top in those kind of situations. So they go from losing a game at the buzzer to then winning one at the buzzer. And, you know, those those close games are what we all live for. And it's fun as a fan, even if it gives you a heart attack. But it was it was cool to see them come through and maybe learn some lessons from that tight one to open the season. Yeah, nothing like being on the wrong end of SportsCenter's number one play to open the <laughs> Open the it season hurts. as Belmont hit a ridiculous three pointer to to win that one. I, I won't I won't dive down the the Bobcat rabbit hole too much. We'll save that for another episode. Um, I, you mentioned Reno though. I am I am curious. You guys scared them for for three quarters. I even talked to Reno head coach Matt Oaks, who said you guys played harder than they did for the first three quarters, and then obviously things flipped in the fourth there. Um, what was your kind of biggest takeaway from from that Reno game? Obviously, with it being the most most recent game too, was it was it more of how you guys played for the first three quarters, or is it more how you finish in that final eight minutes? I, I think there's takeaways from both areas. Uh, first off, I was I was very proud with how we opened the game. Uh, our first quarters in general actually have been pretty solid, and a lot of that has been some of that transition that we've talked about up to this point where. It's a, it's a defensive rebound and, and get the ball and go and put a little pressure on, on another team early, especially on our home floor. And I thought we, we brought the fight against, against Reno. I mean, Coach Oaks is, is a great coach. They've got, uh, they had a really young team last year with almost everybody returning and their five out system, they're, they're very disciplined with it. Uh, we felt like if we, could, if we could force some perimeter shots that we were at least able to contest and then get out and go, that we'd, we'd be in a pretty good spot. And, and that really happened in those first three quarters. Uh, the only problem when we get to that fourth is, you know, we, we weren't able to get shots. Instead, we're, we're giving up turnovers. Mm-hmm. They were out in transition. The, the script kind of flipped there. So definitely some things to, to work on as far as taking care of the ball, understanding the situation in that fourth quarter. But given where we were a couple weeks ago and some of the results we were seeing compared to, you know, the game yesterday, there's there's a lot of growth there. So I, I can't critique the, the boys' effort, especially compared to those first couple games. Our, our effort was better, and now we've just got to learn how to execute when the game's on the line. Yeah, and though Reno's one loss did come in a league match, they are 9-1, and one, which, uh, while wouldn't put you on the top of 5A at the moment, it is the best record wins and losses-wise in uh, Northern 5A right now, you know. Moral victories are, I think, over overly used as a as a cliche, whether it be coach speak or I try to stay away from that as much as possible. But would you say there were some moral victories in that or would you say it's more positive takeaways, I guess, however you want to phrase that? What was your kind of uh, and I think you probably already alluded to this a little bit, your biggest takeaway from uh, from that game and maybe where where it might have left the confidence level for you guys moving forward? 
Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, it stunk. Like, we, yeah. we played well, and we really wanted that game. And hats off to Reno for battling back and, and really turning it on in that fourth quarter. But I think our biggest takeaway, moral victory, whatever you want to call it, I mean, I'm in it for real victories, not yeah, so much the yeah. moral, but we can go with the takeaway. Uh, I think our biggest takeaway is, you know what, if we play as a team, we can compete with anybody. And uh, as we mentioned, to, to start the season, we, we opened with a tough couple of league games. Mm-hmm. And we were maybe humbled a little bit. You know what, guys, we're going to have to work. We're going to have to work together. We can't do it individually. And to really practice hard for a couple of weeks and come out and have a better result, I, I hope it opened their eyes that they can trust each other just a little bit more. And as we go into that next game, instead of thinking about, oh, man, we've, we've had a couple tough games, now we're thinking, you know what? If we fight, if we play hard, we can compete with anybody. Yeah, and I know you guys uh, play Dayton next, but I, so I don't want to you know, have you look too far ahead, and I know coaches don't like to do that. <laughs> but you do have one more league game before yeah. uh, the winter break, if you will. It's not much of a break for the basketball side of things, <laughs> but you do play Damani uh, yeah. before, before Christmas or before the new year, however you want to look at that. What is another you know, tough team in Northern 5A? What are you expecting from them, and uh, how do you think you guys match up with the Mustangs? Well, Northern 5A has been pretty chaotic so mm-hmm. far. I mean, some tight Lots games and a lot of a lot of good teams. So it's it's a fun league this year. And Damani's right there. Yeah. I mean, uh, had some some tough games, some close games that they've pulled out. Uh, they've got excellent guards. Uh, they can really defend. Very disciplined team. Very well coached team. So we'll definitely have to be on our A game to be in that one, especially with it being on the road. Uh, now, like you said, don't want to look too far in advance. Right, past, right, right. past Dayton, we're excited for that game. We lost our, our tournament due to the storm, so we were able okay. to add Dayton a little bit later, and that just happened to be the date that works with all the school schedules. So we're, we're excited for this week, a couple of big opportunities, but we're definitely going to have to bring it against both opponents. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the program, Ty. You're, like I said, you're more than welcome to hop in on this FIFA World Cup talk <laughs> if you would like here. We're going to transition away, but uh, would like to give you a big, a big thank you for coming on. I know... Uh, People love to listen to what, what coaches have to say. They are our best listened to episodes so far. So I greatly appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us here on a Sunday. Yeah, thanks, guys. And I'd, I'd just be remiss without saying that I'm you know, I'm just grateful for the guys, the way they compete. So if, if anyone wants to come watch these kids fight and play hard, we'd, we'd love everybody's support. So thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. And uh, thank you to Ty Golden for joining the program, head coach of the boys basketball team at Carson High in his, his first season there. Don't worry. You will see plenty more coverage online at nevadaappeal.com backslash news backslash sports reno tournament of champions wrestling i know i teased the world cup here but real quickly uh reno tournament champions wrestling carson high wins the 152 pound girls uh bracket as ella olsen picks up a pin to go four and oh winning the uh reno tournament of champions in her bracket there she's the first girl to uh pick up a medal at the Reno Tournament of Champions for Carson High. Now, granted, the first girls' tournament was last year, and Carson High wasn't there. But still... Because they were competing with the boys. Yeah. Ella Olson, uh, congrats to her for picking up a uh, first-place title there. Would be uh, remiss as well to not mention Douglas High's Bliss Moody, who arguably might be the toughest girl at the school. I was 
uh, joking with her before talking to her. I was curious if there's any sports she doesn't play between girls soccer, wrestling, and then track and field in the spring. Uh, she holds a record already at Douglas High in track and field from last year as a freshman. This year, she gets a fourth place finish in the 120-pound bracket there. That is also the first girl to medal for Douglas High at the Reno Tournament of Champions. And from talking to both coaches, it was a loaded field this year. I mean, there were teams coming out from Oklahoma, Washington. They had, they had, I think it was close to 80, 80 to 90 teams there. So, um, you know, not uh, both both teams lost all their boys wrestlers on day one. So nobody made it over to, to day two. But you want to talk about getting to see the best of the best from just the Western United States. And there's also colleges there, too. Obviously, high school kids are not competing against college kids, but they get to see what it's like at the, the next level. And I know that opens some eyes for for the coaches from what I've talked to and all right, Jeff, it's going to be a poor transition here. But speaking of opening eyes, let's talk about the final 10 minutes or so from that FIFA this World Cup I, final. This is where I start crying. <laughs> uh, Messi and Argentina look like they are in full control through the first half. France is making subs before halftime, given that they are just desperate to try to get something going. They did find that life late and enforced PKs, which I will admit uh, the – Sports fan in me lit myself down. I fell asleep for overtime. <laughs> so no I did not see the finish. Uh, however, my preseason or my pre-World Cup bet on Argentina paid off. That's all I'm going to say. I, I don't pretend to be an expert there. I got lucky. He's but keeping his day job. He didn't bet enough. I am absolutely keeping my day job. <laughs> no doubt about it. Jeff, what did you see and what was your biggest takeaway from that final? Argentina came to win. Flat out. Uh, France didn't wake up, and you can just go look at Twitter. You can see a million people saying, is France even awake yet? And they didn't wake up until the 78th minute of the game. But Argentina took it to them. So I was trying to find the feelings of myself. I'm not a big Argentina fan, and there's long-term reasons why you two weren't even born when it happened. (laughs) Um, But... Argentina absolutely went straight at them and winning every ball, winning every second ball, going hard, and and their second goal was fantastic. I mean, I think five or six guys, one touch the ball and go 70 yards for a goal, magic. So that that's the kind of stuff. We talked about this when the World Cup started. Something will happen, and it, it that game absolutely delivered today. Yeah, I was just really aboard the messy bandwagon. I'm not going to lie. I don't know much about Argentina otherwise, but everybody was pretty much on the same page that it was probably going to be his last World Cup for, for Argentina. Well, given he even his... said that, that, that today is his last World okay. Cup game. Yeah. So he, he'll be too old. I mean, he'll be 40 yeah, for the next But World that Cup. doesn't mean people are going to forget about Lionel Messi. Boy, oh boy, has yeah. he solidified his history. Yeah. What a couple of, I mean, they won the Copa America last year. 2021 and and that was kind of the everybody was saying that could be his big tournament that he won and obviously that's not enough so <laughs> small potatoes now the world cup and then he's, he's got it now so i'll be curious to see though ronaldo's going to saudi arabia saudi arabia is the only team to beat argentina in the world cup well he's um, not going to play for saudi arabia no but he's going to play in saudi arabia yeah. and and the all the inside rumor mill we have no clue in this i mean no. we have the kardashians as our drama and world football is the drama i'm the, sorry you pay attention to that i have no clue who <laughs> okay. they are i couldn't even point them out to you if you put them in a lineup 
And they were all Kardashians. I wouldn't know. I will leave the room if that comes on TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will put you on the spot here, mostly because nobody's going to remember this in four years. Let's take an early projection at what you think this U.S. team is going to do in 2026 when, uh, I guess, we host the World Cup. Canada and Mexico are also involved, but uh, the North America of it all will host the World Cup. U.S. obviously make it to the round of 16 this year before losing to the Dutch, who are just the better team and outplayed them. But in four years... <laughs> what's your what's well, your magic eight ball they're, say? They're adding too. It'll be a forty eight team tournament. That's right. So, yeah. which the drama that this one? There's been some talk about because there were going to be three team uh, brackets or three team. I don't even know what would call them. Groups. That. So, yeah, three team groups, which means the top two go, and there's no kind of a playoff like this last one had, and the drama that that last stage game where they put the two games at the same time that drama was just electric this with this world cup so i think they're starting to reconsider that the u.s will do okay um obviously we're all going to be a little better but uh i think the big thing is there's the potential that we'll be coming off the women's world cup next year if we win that that will continue the ball getting pushed down the road for for the U.S. as far as a country. Uh, but there's some concern of we don't have the qualifying, so we don't have to qualify. We're automatically right. in. All right. three teams are automatically in. Mm-hmm. So that takes one, two, and three of CONCACAF off the slate. So there's a little bit of concern that we're not going to be ready or match fit or ready for the competition that's coming. But And it's in the summer again, so gonna be crazy yeah enjoyed the winter world cup but i hope it's a one-time thing it's it it just i don't know it's uh, it's out of place yeah you yeah. know the, the world the world got on board with it because it's the world cup but it was out of place well the world got on board with it because they had to because fifa wasn't changing their minds yeah. <laughs> after all you can't announce it in 2012 and everybody screams corruption and they were right but yeah. once you get to 2022 by that point you're not gonna not gonna make any drastic changes yeah. but Anyways, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Behind the Bench. I would like to thank today's title sponsor, Double J Auto NV in Gardnerville. You can check them out online at www.doublejautonv.com. Of course, thanks to my producer, Jeff Mulvihill. You can find his work online at instaimage.com. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you can find all of our stories as well as podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts, but stories will be online at Nevada Peel and recordcourier.com backslash news backslash sports. We are going to take the Christmas week off. That was what we did last year, too. But otherwise, we will talk to you guys again in 2023. Take it easy.